I am Alan Monroe with Monroe Farms in Friona, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas. Agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It is always great to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Well, Election Day has come and gone, and some of those elections still aren't settled. But we'll take a look back at how things shook out here in Texas and some of the effects the elections will have on agriculture nationwide. That story coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For a lot of families who raise cattle in the Texas High Plains, our extended drought has meant giving up large portions of their herds. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, you'll hear about the issues one cow-calf operation has been dealing with. Mexico plans to proceed with a ban on U.S. GMO corn entering the country. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have reaction from the Texas Corn Producers Association on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Election Day has come and gone, and here in Texas, it was a clean sweep for Republicans in statewide races. Right, and that's what we were expecting. I mean, almost every single poll that came out showed that the Republicans had, you know, pretty much a double-digit lead all the way from Governor Abbott down the ballot. That's Texas Farm Bureau Associate Director of Government Affairs, Billy Howe. He says results in South Texas didn't go quite as well as national Republicans had hoped, but it really wasn't a surprise. Well, particularly with the three congressional districts down there, uh, Congressional District 15, 28, and 34, um, those were the three that nationally the the parties were focused on. And uh, in Congressional District 15, uh, where Monica de la Cruz won, You know, that district was purposely drawn to make it to where a Republican had a good chance to win it. And she did. So, um, you know, that I guess you could say that went according to plan. Uh, Some of the national Republicans were thinking that they could possibly defeat uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar and Congressman Vicente Gonzalez. But both of their districts were solid Democrat or lean Democrat based upon the numbers from two years ago as far as voting for Biden. So that was going to be an uphill battle for Republicans all along. And sure enough, you know, Congressman Cuellar wins with 56 percent of the vote and Vicente Gonzalez wins with almost 53 percent of the vote. So, you know, those districts broke the way that the the data basically said that they ought to break. Nationally, things aren't quite settled yet, but it does look like Republicans will have a slight majority in the House. American Farm Bureau Political Affairs Director Cody Lyon says that would mean new leadership on the House Agriculture Committee. Could be going to 
G.T. Thompson from uh, Pennsylvania as the new chair. Uh, and the question would be, you know, who's going to be the ranking member on the Democratic side? Would David Scott remain uh, as ranking member? He, he's from Georgia and has been chair for the last few years. The Senate majority and the next chair of that Agriculture Committee is still up in the air. But Lyons says current Senate Ag Committee Chair Debbie Stabenow was not up for re-election and ranking Republican John Bozeman won another term. He predicts the two would continue to work well together no matter the outcome. Farm programs or conservation programs, environmental energy research, they're going to touch on all of those key aspects of the farm bill. And then, you know, where does nutrition fit in? And if Republicans do take control of the House, Lyons says energy policy would be a big play for Republicans, topping climate issues. Energy policy overall, especially with the current price of diesel fuel and its impact on farmers and ranchers and rural communities around the country. American Farm Bureau's Cody Lyon. The year-long drought has taken a toll on many cattle herds across Texas. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. In yesterday's report, Greg Glover talked about how his family's farming operation in the western Texas panhandle had a fairly good year with their crops, as strong corn and forage sorghum yields compensated for significant losses in cotton production. But as we hear what Glover has to say about the cattle side of his family's operation, things have been perhaps a bit rougher there. With drought preventing grass from growing sufficiently, it took some major maneuvering to keep the animals fed. Most of our cow herd, James, we kept in pens and we fed wheat which that we chopped a few years ago and piled up and hay. So we were basically, you know, you could almost just say a, a grow yard setting. You know, we were feeding them silage and hay and uh, if we were able to get burrs, uh, those sort of things. So most of our cows were not on grass this summer because we kind of try to protect most of our grass this year. Uh, you know, it wasn't green at all until July, until we got that big four-inch rain. Then we kind of let it green up and try to grow and get ahead of some cattle before we turned out on it because we didn't want to get where they just basically ate it off and, you know, would ruin it for a long time, essentially. Glover told me over the past couple of years, his family's cow-calf herd has been reduced by almost half. And as for eventually rebuilding... We'll see what the weather does. I'm not sold on this weather pattern change, and I don't want to uh, start restocking and then be in the same same boat and uh, have to get rid of them again. It's no fun to get rid of animals you don't really want to get rid of. On the bright side, Glover says they did get good prices overall on the cattle they've sold off this year. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Mexican agriculture officials have announced their intent to follow through with a ban on GMO corn imports, with the phase-in starting in January. Tom Nicoletti visits with the president of Texas Corn Producers to see how this ban will affect Texas corn farmers. For today's program, we go to Charles Ring in southeast Texas. He is president of the Texas Corn Producers Association. Charles, Mexico's deputy agriculture minister, uh, said recently that Mexico is on track to reduce to one-half its U.S. imports of yellow corn that's used primarily for livestock feed. And this is in reference to the ban on genetically modified corn. What is the reaction uh, from uh, Texas corn producers? 
researchers on uh, what Mexico is looking to do and put into effect in the year 2024. We've been aware of this for several years through the Grass Grains Council and other sources. Most of my corn has gone into Mexico over those years and that industry in Mexico has kind of ignored it and they have been hungry for our corn. They need it. They can't produce enough to, to fill their demand. And we thought this was a political move. We had hoped maybe that would soften. We were assured early on that it was only for food corn and human consumption corn. And then all of a sudden now it affects all corn. The industry in Mexico is is not behind it, and we're hoping something can be resolved, but it will affect all of South Texas corn production. Government in Mexico has decided that we can contract out non-GMO corn in the U.S. I don't think that can happen. They'll get your corn from other sources, which would be South America, but the logistics of that are very bad. It costs them more money. Generally, Mexico is going to buy the cheaper of any choice they have. They're going to go to that least costly. Now, Charles, apparently the issue uh, Mexico has is supporters there are saying that GM seeds can contaminate Mexico's age-old native varieties. Your thoughts about their stance? Well, I have a hard time picturing that it's corn that's ground up and fed to cattle is going to contaminate their native species. But my product is, is getting getting ground up, and it's a hybrid that certainly can't be replanted. It appears uh, there was a reversal in the policy in Mexico on uh, this issue as what was determined from last year, and that uh, Mexico would not limit imports of genetically modified corn from the United States. So by them reversing their stance on this policy issue, that certainly is creating problems for individual corn farmers like yourself, corn producers, Texas corn producers, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well, we even don't really know, you know how they'll monitor this. They would have to physically test every load. That's not practical. I don't see how they can monitor it or enforce it. I can't culturally change what I do on the farm level without Roundup Readies and the BTs have, have made corn farming much simpler and easier, practical and profitable sometimes. So if this goes into effect in 2024 and Mexico does ban uh, genetically modified corn from the United States, from what uh, you understand and your, uh, your information and sources, how will this hurt American uh, exports of corn uh, economically? It'd be huge. And there's a lot of trains going into Mexico every day with 100 car rail numbers to go down deep into Mexico. And that's where they can cut it off easily because they can sample those loads as they, or those trains as they go across. These unit trades come in from all over the United States going down deep into Mexico. My corn goes by truck because of the distance, but actually there are times when the rail is cheaper from the Midwest into Mexico than my truck freight is within two hours of the border. Just economics, the amount of corn you can move in one unit. That's where it's going to get get hard. It's going to be tough on, on everybody. South Texas particularly, North Texas imports corn from the Midwest. It'll affect, I believe it'll affect more Midwest corn than it will North Texas corn because they don't export. It will affect all the coastal, central Texas and South Texas. Those comments from Charles Ring, the president of the Texas Corn Producers Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Parks and Wildlife Department is recommending a few precautions to help reduce the spread of highly pathogenic avian influenza. 
I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And high starch feeds can cause a lot of problems in older and heavier horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Support comes from the Texas Tribune, a nonprofit news organization hosting a multi day complimentary event exploring the future of rural Texas, discussing what's next for education, broadband connection, health care, the rural economy, and more, November 17th through the 18th in Lubbock, on Texas Tech University's campus and streaming live online. More at texastribune.org slash events. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. High starch feeds can cause a lot of problems in older and heavier horses. Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Dr. Stacy Oak indicates in the horse publication that horses consuming high starch feeds experience elevated levels of a compound called interleukin-1b, which is a potent pro-inflammatory mediator. It has been found by two researchers at Sam Houston State that overweight and older horses have higher inflammatory proteins in their system already. And by adding these three situations together, consisting of overweight and older horses, eating high starch meals is likely to be a problem. The researchers performed one study in normal weight and overweight horses by feeding them both high starch meals. And it was found that the overweight horses had higher interleukin levels immediately after feeding Well, it took two weeks for this to occur in horses of normal weight. The second study involved groups of middle-aged and older horses, and both were fed high-starch meals for 36 days. After 36 days, blood samples were taken, and testing revealed the older horses had higher interleukin levels than middle-aged horses, and these interleukins are pro-inflammatory proteins. This study shows that older, overweight horses have immediate increases in interleukin after eating a high-starch diet while middle-aged, normal-weight horses require a period of weeks for this to occur. This may be one reason that younger, normal-weight horses are less likely to develop laminitis and founder after eating a high-starch meal compared to older, overweight horses. You have to be really careful feeding any horses high-starch meals, but it is not a good idea to feed these high-starch meals to older, overweight horses. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is working to prevent the spread of avian influenza. Jessica Domel has the story in today's Wildlife Report. Duck hunting season is well underway in parts of Texas, and it opens up this Saturday in the North Zone. Right now, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is recommending a few precautions for waterfowl hunters due to the spread of highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HPAI, in wild birds and waterfowl. Kevin Cry, TPWD's waterfowl program leader, joins us with more. We obviously have our eye on it very, very closely and monitoring it. Like most flus, they kind of go away when the weather gets warm. We're certainly concerned. Texas kind of got lucky last year. It started really popping up as birds were leaving the state last spring. And so we didn't have a lot of cases of it. But the states to the north of us had significant amounts of cases, including uh, in a wide variety of birds, but including some waterfowl. And so we'll be watching that real, real closely as they come back south. 
HPAI is highly contagious and it spreads easily among wild and domestic bird species. It has been found in 46 states so far, including Texas. TPWD encourages game bird hunters to consider precautions like disposing of carcasses properly, wearing gloves when processing, avoiding consumption or processing of sick birds, cleaning and disinfecting tools between carcasses with a 10% bleach solution, and cooking meat to 165 degrees Fahrenheit. The risk of transmission of HPAI between infected birds and humans remains low for now. But TPWD encourages hunters to use basic protective measures, like wearing gloves, face masks, and hand washing if contact with wild birds cannot be avoided. The public is encouraged to limit unnecessary contact with wild birds. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a higher trade in the cattle market Thursday while the grain markets dropped lower. We'll take a look back at all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market had a strongly higher close on Thursday as the grain markets dropped lower. We'll start with live cattle, where December was up $1.30, 18287 February up 70 cents, 154.85. April up 60 at 158.37. Feeder cattle finishing higher also. November feeders up 85, 178.57. January feeder cattle up $1.90, 181.55. With March feeders up $1.90, 183.70. Cash fed cattle market fully steady this week. We've sold cattle here in Texas at 150. Up north, we've seen live sales top out at 153. Dressed sales in the north, mostly 242. That's steady with last week also. Boxed beef was mixed on Thursday. Choice down 17 cents, 264.50. Select up 335 at 238.57. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Doug Bass and his crew sell Cattleman's Brenham every Friday. I spoke with Doug this morning to see how last Friday's sale went. Douglas, describe the action, please. I had a good sale, Mr. Larry. We ended up with a 1,409 head of cattle. Uh, cow market looked about the same. Calf market looked like it got just a tick higher. Let's walk the pins. Yes, sir. On your weigh-in cows, thinner, lower-yielding cows, 30 to 59, better. Higher-yielding cows, 65 to 81. Lower-yielding thinner bulls, 75 to 85. Better bulls bring 90 to 105. Uh, didn't have any breads or pears. Two to three weight steers on the calf market. Two to three weight steers, 150 to 180. Heifers, 140 to 158. Three to four weight steers, 145 to 204. Heifers, 135 to 182. Four to five weight steers, 135 to 197. Heifers, 130 to 225. 
five to six waist tiers, 130 to 179. Heifers, 120 to 172. Six to seven waist tiers, 125 to 170. Heifers, 110 to 168. Seven to eight weight steers, 110 to 151. Heifers, 105 to 152. And the 800 to 1,000 pound steers and bullions bring a dollar to a dollar 38. And the heiferettes bring 85 to 132. What are you anticipating for this Friday's sale, Doug? We've got some lined up, yes, sir. We've got some cattle shear lined up. I think we'll have a pretty good run again this week, yes, sir. Nothing in much in the way of cows, just mostly weighing cows. But got some really good strings of calves coming. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for this Friday's sale in Brenham. Yes, sir. Uh, call me on my cell, 9 Seven nine eight seven seven four four five four. Our call center office nine seven nine eight three six thirty six twenty one. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished lower in Thursday's trade. December hogs down sixty two cents, eighty four sixty five. February down forty five at eighty eight seventy. Class three milk was mixed. November milk down to twenty ninety eight a hundred weight. December milk unchanged at twenty one fifty eight a hundred. We had a mixed close in the cotton market on Thursday. The nearby contracts lowered. The deferred contracts higher. Several factors affecting the cotton trade. The weekly export sales report released Thursday morning didn't look all that great for cotton, but a sharply higher Dow Jones and a sharply lower U.S. dollar lent some support to the market. We close with the nearby December down 12 at 86.38, March cotton down 17, 84.56, December 23 cotton was up 25 at 78.40. The corn market closed lower with weak export sales, putting a little pressure on the market. December corn dropped nine and a half, six fifty-five a bushel. March corn down nine and a quarter, six sixty-one and a quarter. Both hard and soft wheat finishing lower. Traders a bit nervous about the upcoming meeting between Russia and the UN over the Ukrainian grain export deal. December Kansas City wheat down three and three quarters, nine twenty-six and a quarter. December Chicago wheat down two and three quarters at 8.03 and three quarters. In the energy markets, December natural gas was up 15 cents, 6.01. December crude oil up 84, 86.67 a barrel. Sharply higher Dow Jones on Thursday afternoon. It was up 1,130 points, 33,644. The NASDAQ jumping 718 points, 11,075. The S&P up 197 at 3,948. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.